So one day John the Baptist was out in this region of Bethany, which was kind of a few miles from Jerusalem, a few miles east over the Jordan River. And John the Baptist was this kind of fiery preacher, kind of one of the rabbis of his day, but he was really creating quite a stir and quite a following. And some of the, the religious leaders of the day weren't quite sure what to do with John. And so they, uh, they sent over at the temple, they sent some guys out to, to see John, to watch John, and to ask John some questions. And so these guys came to John the Baptist and they said, hey, hey, who, who are you? And are you, are you the Messiah? Are you this promised one of, of God that, that we've been waiting for for centuries? And, and is, is that you? And John said, no, that's, that's not who I am. And they said, well, are you, are you Elijah? Who was this prophet from hundreds of years before who, who had never died? And, and they said, well, maybe, maybe you've come back to be a, a messenger for God, to tell us something that we need to hear. Are you him? Are you Elijah? And John says, no, that's, that's not me either. And... Uh, they say, well, well, give us something, man. Like, just give us something because we don't know what to do with you. <laughs> and your message is just a little bit different from what we've heard. And you're creating all of this, this following. And you have your own disciples. And, and so just who are you? And he says, really, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm nothing really worth paying attention to. I'm, I'm just here to make the way for someone who's coming after me. And he's so much greater than I am. In, in fact, I'm just the hype guy for this guy. But, but when he comes, he's the Messiah. He's the one that you've been waiting for, and he's the one that you really need to be paying attention to. So the next day, uh, John is back there in Bethany by the Jordan River, and he sees Jesus walking toward him. And in that moment, John looks out and points to him and says, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. And John uses this image that goes back into the Hebrew scriptures. It references some, some pretty rich, deep, meaningful stories of when a lamb would be offered as a sacrifice in order for the, the people of Israel to have their sins forgiven. And John looks at this guy walking Jesus, uh, this other new rabbi on the scene, he says, that's him. That's the lamb of God, the once and forever lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. A couple of... Uh, John's disciples, uh, his, a couple of his followers, Andrew and this other guy. We don't know the name of the other guy. It's never mentioned in the scriptures who this other guy was, although we have reason to believe it might be the guy who's actually recording this passage that I'm, that I'm sharing with us, the, the disciple John, different John. But he's never named in the passage, so we don't know for sure. But Andrew and this other guy, um, they go find Jesus. And they, see that they, go, they go find this one that John says, here, you, he's the one you need to be listening to. And they, they go and they find Jesus. And Jesus turns around and sees these two guys kind of standing there. And Jesus says to them, what do you want? Which is kind of funny. The first words out of the Messiah's mouth recorded in this gospel of John are, what do you want? And they say, we want to see where you live. Which is, which is a really kind of strange request. We want to see where you live. We, we want to see where you're hanging out. And Jesus says back to them, well, come and see. And it, it could be, if you think about this encounter between these two disciples and Jesus, it could be like one of the best starstruck moments of all time. It's kind of the way I think about it. When I, when I hear this story, they, they hear that the Messiah has come and then supposedly this guy walking down the road that maybe no one had ever heard of, but apparently he's a pretty big deal. And so they go find him. And I don't know if you've ever had a starstruck moment 
You ever had a chance to, to meet someone that you really looked up to, maybe a celebrity, a musician, an author, maybe you were at the store and all of a sudden you, you, you looked down the aisle and there was Travis Kelsey, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, too soon, too soon. Um, I heard Elton John was in town this week. Maybe you were like, you know, driving down the intersection and you look in the car next to you and there's Elton John's limo, okay? Maybe you had one of these moments with someone that, that you really look up to, a hero of yours, and, and you just kind of were starstruck. Um, I, I had a moment like this with, with a hero of mine, someone that I really look up to. I know it's going to sound strange, but he's actually a pastor. And that might be weird to, you know, that I, you know, have a hero who's a pastor, but I'm a pastor. Maybe you have someone in your field that you've really learned a lot from over the years. And, and this was a pastor. Uh, I'd listened to so many of his messages and, and uh, read so many of his books. And I'm not going to tell you his name because you just never know what's going to happen with famous pastors these days. Um, and I was sitting on a, a beach on vacation with my wife and I was actually reading a book by this pastor. And, uh, I closed the book and I begin to hear this pastor's voice, which was really strange because sometimes you read a book and you might hear the voice of the person while you're reading the book. But I close the book and I hear this pastor's voice and I look to my left and I see what looks like this, this pastor, this guy walking down the beach toward me. But I'm getting old and so I don't really trust my eyesight. So I look over at my wife and she looks over and her eyes get really big because she knows, she knows who this guy is. And so I look back at him and I have this look on my face like, I think this is who I think it is. And he has this look on his face as if to say, I'm who you think I am. <laughs> so I, I'm like, do I interrupt him? I mean, he's probably on vacation too. I don't want to interrupt him, but I'm not going to miss at this opportunity. So I get up and I just apologize for interrupting him. He is who I thought he was. And, and he takes about 15 minutes just to talk with me and, and get to meet my wife, Allison, and ask about our family, shares about his family. We talk about our, our churches. And it's just super cool. Offered us a, a lot of encouragement. Maybe you've had a moment like that with, with someone that you've really looked up to and it was kind of like this, what just happened kind of moment. But imagine if we were standing on the beach and we're talking to this guy, getting along, and, and I'm like, you know what? Can we go back to your house and hang out? <laughs> and how much weirder would it be if he said, yeah, like, let's go spend the day together. I don't know what you had planned on your vacation, but I thought I'd love nothing more than just to hang out with these two strangers that I met on the beach. You know, and if you met one of your heroes, and it was the same kind of thing. That's, that's a little bit what I think is happening here on the Jordan River in Bethany between Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and these two disciples of John the Baptist. But what makes it even more kind of astounding isn't that they asked to go back and see his house. It's that Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. Because those three words really sum up so much of who Jesus is and why he came. That come and see, really give us a picture of who Jesus is. And it sums up who he is and the life that he makes possible. That Jesus came to be a come and see kind of God. And so today we're starting this brand new series called All Access. And the big idea of this series is that Jesus gives us all access to who God is and the life that he has for us. That Jesus really is the most accessible person that ever lived. I mean, you think about it, that, that, that Jesus, Jesus had no, like, like, Security detail hanging around him, keeping people away from him. He had no secret code or handshake to get close. He had, he had, he had no scheduling assistant to get on his calendar. <laughs> 
Like Jesus was the most accessible person who ever lived. And the reason is because his whole purpose for being here on earth was to be accessible and in so doing to make God accessible to the whole world. And the reason why this series is so important as we go through this over these next several weeks is because we don't live in an all-access kind of world. We live in a limited-access kind of world. That kind of is what defines our life. Think about it. We, we, tend, we tend to have kind of like the, um, the, the, the premier access and the limited access. We live in a world of first class and second class, or for the rest of us, southwest class. Like, <laughs> You know, or we, we live in a world of like club league and rec league, of country clubs and VIP suites and then the rest of us. And if you want access, all access to something, you've got to pay the right price or you've got to have the right stuff, right? And sometimes what happens is we can kind of take that and we can kind of take that limited access way of living and world and we can attach it to God. In fact, when Jesus came, that was the way that people thought of God that the very religious system of the day of Judaism was organized around some people having all access to God and some people not. In fact, you go a few miles west of the Jordan River and there in Jerusalem was the temple. You may have seen a picture of the temple before. And then inside this temple, you'll see kind of these sequence of courts leading up to the center of the temple, which was the holiest place where God was believed to dwell. And so outside, this big court out here, the biggest court there, that was called the Court of Gentiles, which is another way of saying the Court of Everybody. That no matter who you were, you could come into this Court of Gentiles. And then this wall inside here, that's called the Wall, the wall of Separation. And this is where the Jewish people could go into, but if you were a male Jew, you could go further one. If you were a female Jew, you stopped here. Over here you had the court of lepers, you had the court of priests, more and more select until you got to the center of the temple where only some priests on certain days of the year, under certain conditions, would get some access to God. In fact, around this wall of separation that separated the Jews from the rest of everyone, there were these balustrades, these, these signs that uh, archaeologists uncovered several decades ago. And you'll see a picture of one of these signs right here. The translation of this sign, it's kind of scattered all around that wall of separation, said, no for foreigner shall enter within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Nobody had all access to God. It was a limited access kind of religion. Until Jesus. Amen. Amen indeed. That, that, somehow, that somehow because of the life and the presence of Jesus on this world, that somehow because of his death and resurrection, that he opened up the doors to God, to every single person, to have complete access, full access to who God is and the life that God offers us. In fact, several decades after Jesus lived, he had this small band of followers who created this movement that was slowly growing across the known world. It's Part of the reason why we're here now is because it grew to that extent. But as, as, this, as the, 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 the feet of this movement were getting off the ground, this is the way that its followers wrote to the world about what Jesus did. It says that he came and preached peace. Peace to those of you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. And in him, we have access to the Father. That that wall of separation has been removed. In another letter in the New Testament, it says, through Jesus, we have gained access to the grace in which we stand. And I don't think we can really, I don't think we really have the ability to wrap our minds around all that Jesus gives us access to. 
to the grace in which we stand, to the life in which we stand, to the rest in which we stand, to the purpose that Jesus gives us access to. But that's where we're going in this series, that every single week, he sprinkled throughout all four of the Gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life, are these invitations where Jesus says, come, come to me, come and see, come and rest, come and believe. And every single week, we're going to look at, at one of these invitations, and we're going to see what Jesus is inviting you and me to get to experience. And I want to look at this first one, this come and see invitation right here today, because I don't think this is just an invitation for people to come and see where Jesus is living. I think this is an invitation to a few deeper things that we're going to get to unpack together. And that's why I think you're here or you watching online are, are paying attention to us, because Jesus wants to show you and me maybe just one of these things, something about who he is and why he came. See, to come and see, first of all, it's an invitation to see Jesus for yourself. And the emphasis here is for yourself. That, that Jesus wants us to, to not have to take anyone's recommendation for who he is, but to get to see who he is for ourselves. See, when Andrew and his friend seek out Jesus, they're actually considering, do we leave our current rabbi, John the Baptist? Remember, they were one of John the Baptist's disciples. They said, do we leave our current rabbi and, and, and go follow this other rabbi? You know, John gives them a pretty good recommendation. He's the, he's the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. But, but for them, they're not so sure. They want to they see for themselves. And in fact, John says of Jesus, he says, you know what? You shouldn't be learning from me. You should leave me and you should go. I can't untie the sandals on that guy, which is a way of saying I can't, I can't hold a candle up to that guy, which is a way of saying I'm really not that big a deal compared to that guy. Um, and so they're like, well, that recommendation is pretty good, but we're actually going to go see for ourselves. Have you ever gotten a good recommendation for something? Love giving recommendations? Um, when's the last time someone gave you a recommendation? Maybe it was like, oh man, you got to see this movie. So good, right? Um, or, or, you know, go to this, go to this restaurant, best burn-ins you'll ever have. Or you're like, you know, hey, check out this church, amazing people. Preaching's phenomenal. Yeah, and so uh, maybe you, you checked out, the, you, took, you took the word of this person and you went and checked this out. But, but for these guys, see, see, they weren't so sure. They said to leave one rabbi and go to another, it's a big deal. And you're going to spend a lot of time with rabbis, learning from them, walking with them, observing them, spending many, many days of your life with this person. So even though their rabbi recommends Jesus, they said, we want to see for ourselves. Maybe they knew other rabbis. And maybe they spent some time with some rabbis and said, man, their teaching is really just off. Or, or maybe, hey, they really know their Torah, but they stink with people. Or they're, they're one way in public, but in private, it's a totally different story. And I love this, that they go seek out Jesus and say, we want to hang out with you because it shows me that these guys are thoughtful. Like they aren't willing to just be swooped up by any rabbi that comes along. They have something that they're thinking through. Something, something that, they, that they're reasoning with. And if they're going to spend their days with someone, they're going to want to make pretty God, doggone sure. <laughs> they're going to make sure that he's someone worth spending their time with. They want to see for themselves. Anyone here, maybe you're not recommendation kind of people. You're I'm a see for myself kind of person. A few years ago, uh, I, was at, I was at Costco. I generally try to avoid Costco um, especially on Saturdays when half the state is there with you. But um, 
I gotta confess, I love Costco's clothes. Most of what I wear is from Costco. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, if you've ever been to Costco, or I don't know if Sam's Club or the other leading brands are like this too, but you kind of get to a section of the store and they just have a, a, a spread of folding tables and they have stacks of clothes like this high on top of the folding table. And in the middle of the table is a, a hanger that kind of shows what the item is that are stacked up on the table. Well, I saw, I saw a friend of mine actually had um, a, a hoodie sweatshirt. I was like, that's pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, go to Costco. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to take your recommendation. I'm going to go see for myself. So I go to Costco. And, and for whatever reason, my size is not carried very well by Costco. So I'm, I'm looking through the stacks. And as I'm looking through this hoodie, this sweatshirt, I can tell that I'm being watched by one of the workers. And I look around and I see every table has been neatly folded and she looks at me like I'm about to undo everything that she has spent her day doing. And so I start kind of digging through the stack and I'm moving things around. I'm looking for my size. And finally, in the very middle of the table, I find my size and I start to pull it out. She's kind of starting to freak out a little bit. She starts moving closer and closer to me. And I pull, I pull it out. And she said, and, 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 I, and I start to unfold it. And she said, um, sir, would you, please not, would you please not unfold the clothes? And would you not take the wrapping off of the outside of it? And, and I said, well, I just, I just want to see it. And she said, well, well, it's right there. You can see it. It's right there. It's hanging in the middle. And I said, no, I, I want to see it on me. <laughs> she said, oh, no, sir. Uh, we, we can't have you trying on clothes here in the store. Now, if my wife had been there, she would have known where this was going. And she would have been on her way to sit out in the car in the parking lot while I proceeded to make a fool of myself. But somehow, by the grace of God, the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, and patience was rising up inside of me. And I conceded to politely, I mean, I, I, I politely conceded to this, this worker. She obviously had worked really hard on this. I don't want to mess her up, give her a hard day. So I say, You're, you know what, I understand. She turns around and turns the corner, and I undo the wrapping. <laughs> and I put the sweatshirt on, I decide I like it, and I go to the front of the store, and I buy it. Now, why do I share this story with you? Because I'm a come and see kind of person. I wanna see for myself if this is something that's worth my time, or my money, or my commitment, whatever it may be. Just like Andrew and his friend, just like many of you. We just, we just finished this series on doubt, an incredible series. If you missed any of this, I encourage you, go back, check out some of the series, because the big idea was that doubt is not a threat or an enemy to our faith. It's actually an invitation to pursue a deeper faith, to bring our questions, to ask our questions, to take a closer look. And many times, as we were going through this series, I realized many times the doubts that we have in faith, I think arise because we've taken someone else's word for something when it comes to God. You know, for many of us, especially if you've grown up in a Christian household or in a church, the faith that you have in that early part of your life is a faith that's been taught to you or handed down to you by a parent or a grandparent or a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader, whatever it may be. And what I know about hand-me-downs is there comes a time when they don't fit anymore, when you need some clothes of your own. And so what I've learned is, is that the faith of someone else, there eventually comes a time when their faith doesn't hold up to the experience of your life. And in that moment, it's an invitation to come back, to come and see Jesus for yourself. There comes a time when we all need to see for ourselves, maybe even return with ourselves to see who Jesus is. 
And so if you're here today and you're a skeptic and maybe you're skeptical of religion or Jesus or the church or, or, or you just want to maybe enough to keep out at a distance, what I want you to hear today is that Jesus is saying, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Let's wrestle through those questions that you have. Let's wrestle through whatever faith it is that you have right now. Let's do this together before you let your skepticism have the last word. And the reason is because Jesus doesn't want you to have a faith that's based on recommendations or anyone else's word for it. He wants you to have a faith that's based on your experience of who he is. And that's why this next part is so important. That, that to come and see isn't just an invitation to see for yourself, but it's also an invitation to be with Jesus before believing in Jesus. Pay attention to that. That it's an invitation to be with Jesus before believing in Jesus. When you look at the story of these guys saying, hey, we want to spend the day with you. We want to go hang out where you're hanging out. Notice what, notice what Jesus doesn't say. That he doesn't say, well, okay, that's great. First, repent. He doesn't say, well, well first um, confess your sins. He doesn't say, well, who do you say that I am? He doesn't give them any sort of interview. He doesn't ask them for any sort of profession of faith or proof of faith or kind of how have you lived your life up to this point. No, he just says, come and see. And I think that's, I think that's so important because he's not just inviting them to see where he's staying, he's actually inviting them to see what it's like to be with him. He wants, hey, look, at, look at where the story goes. It says they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. That Jesus opened up the doors of his life and his home for these guys to spend the entire day with him with no condition attached to the beginning of it. You see, Jesus was all about making space for people to be with him before they believed in him. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, what you'll see is that it was the non-religious people who actually were the most comfortable being around Jesus for hours on end. In fact, they were so comfortable, it was the non-religious people who were, who were most comfortable, so comfortable that it made the religious people really nervous. That here was this guy, supposedly of God, and yet the most non-religious people who wouldn't even been found in the court of Gentiles to begin with, who were most comfortable with Jesus. And so if you're here and you don't consider yourself a religious person, maybe you're here as a favor to someone, or you lost a bet, or you know, maybe you're here because you genuinely have questions about God, but you're like, you know what? I'm going to check them out from a distance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check them out from the back, or I'm going to check them out online as I, as I look in and, and consider who this Jesus even is. What I want you to know is that, is that Jesus is making space for you. He's making space for you, in fact, to come and be with him without any requirement to believe in him. And if you're a religious person in this world, that might be, you might be scratching your head right now. But I want you to go back to how Jesus does this. I want you to go back to how he invites the disciples to follow him. See, for Jesus, belief in him was never a requirement to be with him. It's like this. This is how, this is how Jesus practiced his discipleship in the Gospels, that, that he invites people to be with him. And then he does ask you, he does say, what do you believe about me? He says, later on, you know, believe in me. But this is not a requirement for this. But here in the church world, we tend to, like, get things wrong a lot. And we like to take some of the things that Jesus says and flip them over backwards because we think we're no better or this is what he really meant. And so we turn it into believe in Jesus. And then, once you've crossed that hoop, then you get to be with Jesus. But that doesn't give us all access to God. 
Jesus does it this way. In fact, every encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, he says, hey, come and see. Other passages, he says, hey, follow me. Basically, come, listen to me, be with me, see what it's like to be with me. Listen to my teaching, watch what I do, watch how I live. And then pages later in the Gospels, representing months, maybe even a year or two down the road after these guys are spending time with Jesus, then, then he comes before them and says, now who do you say that I am? And some of them are still wrestling. Honestly, some of them are still wrestling with the resurrected Jesus three years down the road. Because for Jesus, being with him was the first step. And then maybe, just maybe down the road, you might find something worth believing in. This is huge. This is, uh, as Michelle said, we got to celebrate one of our new staff members. And we, we, we are just throwing parties when we add new staff because of the pivotal role that Laura and other staff teammates, every single leader here plays in the mission in the community of our church. And so as she said, we got to share stories and give Laura a little bit of a picture of uh, who Heartland is and, and what our heart beats for. And I shared a little bit of my story with Laura. I said, you know what? Uh, my parents dragged me to church for years. And because they did, there came a time later on in my teenage years when, when I got to kind of come and see Jesus and he became a real part of my life and a real important part of my life, a real special part of my life. But I had this other part of my life where my friends were. And, and they didn't have parents who dragged them to church. And, and I wasn't so sure, even with my best invitations, if they would ever walk through the doors of my church or other churches that were out there. And so I began to have this urgency, this burden in me of saying, God, what is your heart for people who are close to me but who are far from you? And I think we all have people who are close to us but who are far from God. Maybe you're here today and you feel far from God, but you're close to someone else who is close to God. And, and I began to wonder and say, what if, what if churches could be places for people who are close to us but far from God? What if churches were places where people could come and be with Jesus without any requirement of believing in Jesus, of, of knowing what the requirements and the routines were that we kind of put in place? What if these churches, and I don't just mean buildings or services, but the people and the relationships that exist as part of that church within these walls and outside of those walls, what if these were communities and places where people could come and be with Jesus, to come and see for themselves without any requirement of believing in him, and maybe down the road, maybe there's a moment where Jesus comes and, and says, hey, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And I told Laura, that's why Heartland exists that we exist to, to be a place, that, a community that makes space for people to come and be with Jesus without any requirement or even any certainty that one day they will believe in Jesus. And, and now we're pretty, those of us who have walked this journey, we're pretty convinced that there's something special down the road when you make, give Jesus that space. But for any person who, who, say, who, who if you believe, that Jesus isn't who he says he is, you owe it to yourself to give him the opportunity to prove that to you. Amen. Or not. That maybe there's something about Jesus worth believing in. And that's, that's, that's why I love what happens around here. That's why I love our services, that we want these to be a, a, a come and see kind of environment. And that in our kids' ministries and in our student ministries on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, that these are places where, where 
where students, kids, all of us can come and see who Jesus is and get to be with them before believing in him. It's why, it's why I love a couple Friday nights ago, one of the women's, the women's um, crowded tables, which is something exciting happening in our women's ministry where about 20 women will gather at a house. I think there's six or seven or eight million of them right now. And they gather once a month. And it's just a chance to come and get to be with other people. And it's an opportunity to say, hey, you don't need to walk through the walls of this building before you walk through the walls of that person's house. That you can come and experience Jesus out there before or without even stepping foot in here. Same thing's happening with our men's fire pits. We had, I think, six of them meeting this past Friday night. This is a place where, where those who are close to us or far from God can easily come and get to rub shoulders with others who are pursuing God, who are checking him out, or, or who have, have given their life to him and are following after him. This is the kind of church that we are. This is why this week we're starting something called Midweek. You've heard us talk about midweek. Midweek is simply a way that we can go one step further into our weekend teaching, that, that messages aren't just to be listened to, but they're actually meant to be wrestled with. Whether you are someone who is convinced of who Jesus is or you're on the fence, this is a place where you can come here in person or you can jump in online. We'll have a simultaneous Zoom thing happening. We'll go a little bit further into the passages that we talk about on Sunday mornings, dig a little bit deeper. But more importantly, we sit around tables or breakout rooms and we kick around some questions saying, what do we... What do we wrestle with from this? What do we do with this? How does this change things? And, and how do we begin to live this out? Which is why I hope you don't miss out on these Wednesday nights that are gonna be kicking off as we go through this series. Even if you can only make some of them or you just wanna try it out, this is a come and see kind of environment. So find out all that information on the website. You can register to get all the information, 6.30 to eight o'clock to get the link. Go to heartlandchurch.org. I hope, I hope that you do. This is why I love our church. Because we want to be a place that invites people to come and see who Jesus is. That we, can, that we can point our city to Jesus and say, you don't have to take our word for it. Go, come and see him for yourself. We're just here, like John the Baptist, to point the way. That's why I love where the story with Andrew and, and his friend go right after they spend this day with Jesus. It says that, that Andrew left. And he quickly hurried to go find his brother, which was a guy by the name of Simon, who we know later on as Peter. And this is where Simon's journey started. It says that Andrew, his brother, came and he brought him, Simon, to Jesus. That Andrew came to be with Jesus, came to see for himself, came to be with him before believing in him. But then he was believed that this guy really is from God. He was still putting some of the pieces together, but it was enough that he went to his brother and said, hey, hey. He brought him to Jesus. A few verses later, Jesus finds another guy by the name of uh, Philip. And Philip, uh, Jesus Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Spend some time with me. Philip spends a little bit of time with Jesus. He goes and finds a friend of his by the name of Nathaniel. Nathaniel doesn't buy it. And Philip says to him, hey, come and see. He says, come and see. I know you don't want to take my word for it. Why would you? But you should come and see for yourself. A few chapters later in John, Jesus and now his disciples, this is a little bit down the road or a little bit down the, the timeline. Jesus and his disciples are going through the region of Samaria. And the disciples don't quite know why he's going through this region, but he stops for a drink at a well where he meets a woman, a woman who's been married five times and divorced five times. And the man that she's living with right now wasn't her husband. And Jesus has this conversation with her. And, and, and by loving her, 
in a way that she'd never experienced from the world before. By loving this woman at the well through this delicate but powerful conversation, she becomes convinced that Jesus really is the Messiah. And the first thing that she does is she runs into town and she tells the people, look what she says. She says, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? That's the question that we're asking in this series. That when Jesus gives us the invitations that he gives us, could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one who God sent to rescue us from our greatest needs, from our greatest problems, from our greatest sins? Could this be the one who came to help us make sense of life? Could this be the one who gives us purpose? Could this be the one who gives us full access to God, not limited access, but total unhindered free access to all of who God is? and to all of the life that God invites us to experience with him. See, what stands out to me is that the invitation to come and see, sure, it's an invitation to see for yourself and to be with Jesus, and it's an invitation, it, it's an invitation to really share with others what it is that, that you've seen, that to invite others to see who God is. But even more than that, it's an invitation to be seen. You see, these disciples, this Samaritan woman, they were out there looking for the Messiah. But after spending time with Jesus, what they realized is that it was the Messiah who was out there looking for them. That's why Jesus took, took the road through Samaria that no one else would have expected him to take. That all of us maybe need an invitation to come and see, but what I know is that all of us definitely need an invitation to come and be seen to come and be seen by the Savior of humanity, the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And that's what we celebrate at communion. That a few years down the road, Jesus and, and his disciples, he would gather with them one last time and he would show them something more. He grabbed the bread and the wine on the table and he said, I want you to see something. You're gonna see me go to a cross. He didn't lay it out quite so simply for them. But he said, what I really want to see you isn't, what I really want to show you isn't gonna be possible unless I go to a cross and I die on your behalf. That like this bread is being given for you, my body will be given for you. And like this wine is being poured out for you, my blood, my very life will be poured out for you because the only way for you to see what it is that I truly wanna show you, that full life that is possible, the God, the full love of God that he has for you, the only way that's gonna happen if I go to this cross and I rise from the grave. So here at Harlan, that's why we celebrate communion, which is if you have one of these or you have the elements at your home, just take this small film off the top of the wrapper. You can access the bread that's there near the top. Beneath that is the juice. You may wonder, can I, can I take this communion? Can I celebrate with the Heartland community this communion? Because it sounds like a pretty sacred thing. And our response is absolutely. Anyone can celebrate the grace of Jesus. Maybe for you, this is the first time. Maybe for you, the invitation to you is to see the love that God has for you, to see the grace that Jesus has for you. And I encourage you to do so, to give him that space. And so if you haven't already, you take the bread and we eat this in remembrance of him.
And we take this cup and remembering the life that Jesus giving up his life, the life that it makes possible for us. We drink this in remembrance of him. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that, uh, as John tells us earlier in chapter one, that you moved into the neighborhood, that you came into our house, that you dwelled here with us and you invited us to dwell with you. And that as we go into this series, Lord, as we ponder the invitations that you give us, whether we've been walking with you for years or whether we're trying to put our faith back together or whether this is new territory for us, that we would hear the desire that you have for us to meet you in this place, to meet you in the space that you've created for us, to see for ourselves your grace, to get to be with you, to consider if you really are who you say you are. And Lord, that we, Heartland, can be a place that invites others to see what it is that we've seen. Trusting, Lord, that you will meet them there. Be with, be with us as we go into our week. As we go into the series, Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. And everyone said together, amen, amen. Hey, as you go, make sure if you're newer around here looking to get connected, swing by Next Steps. Hope to see you Wednesday night. Find out more about Midweek online. And if you're picking up kids, make sure to say hi and give a high five to our new teammate, Laura. Have a great week.